for what might somewhere else be considered a late start. Because last night after smoked soft-shell crab and grilled baby drum at Clancy's on Annunciation, we did some dancing to the Rebirth Brass Band at the Maple Leaf Club uptown, where the crowd sweated and swole and spilled out onto the street. And from there, we went to the Saturn Bar over on St. Claude, whose beyond grungy decor incorporates a Greek frieze, lots of red and white and yellow neon chandeliers, a psychedelic painting of a dragon, several pairs of panties, and a bumper sticker that says, I'd rather be at the opera. That must have been where we listened to a man with a crucifix hand-painted on his hat tell us about his father, who accumulated lots of cars in his yard, and every Saturday would take his one battery around to each car and crank it. Because it was later, while we were having that nightcap at the Napoleon House, which is over two hundred years old, that the young couple in evening wear came in, looking pale, and swore that they had just seen the ghost of a beautiful naked quadroon lady humming a melody that they could not for the life of them recall. And now, cutting through the clip-clop of the mules drawing carriages over the cobblestones, we hear, Betcha I can tell ya where ya got them shoes. African-American lad, about nine years old, doing a lickety-clackety shuffle on flattened halves of fresca cans affixed to his sneaker soles. Don't want to take advantage of you, young man. How could you possibly know? Betcha dollar, betcha dollar, where you got them shoes. Well, all right. We show our dollar, and the lad, clickety-lickety-clack, delivers, Got your shoes on your feet, got your feet on the street, and the streets in New Orleans, Louisiana. Where I, for my part, first ate a live oyster, and first saw a naked woman with the lights on. I was startled by both, they both by me, presumably in the first case, regrettably in the second, where I first heard the blues, first met an eminent author, or any other kind of author, and first realized that a person of my own gender could have designs, when I was much younger, on my, uh, body. Every time I go to New Orleans, I am startled by something. New Orleans is nobody's oyster. It is situated, however, like a served-up oyster, the half-shell being the levees that keep Lake Pontchartrain and the Mississippi River from engulfing the city. New Orleans lies several feet below river and lake level, and it sinks a little farther every year. When the big hurricane hits, and it will, New Orleanians assure you, with what suffices locally for civic pride, the waters will finally rise over the shell and inundate the town, killing tens of thousands. Here is one thing you hear locally about the flood. It hasn't happened yet. That proves that we're blessed. Here is another. I hope it won't, but if it does, I'd hate to miss it. And another. The other morning I woke up thinking it happened last night. Many New Orleanians, in what suffices locally for prudence, have taken the precaution, officially urged by what suffices locally for civic authority, of keeping an axe in the attic so they can chop a hole up through the roof when the time comes and rise above the flood. There will be rooftop parties, 
neither pestilence, nor fire, nor corruption, nor rioting, nor thuggery, nor a series of governing powers, French, then Spanish, then French again, then American, then Confederate, then American again, has managed to dampen New Orleanian spirits for long. So why should the deluge? One day, it's coming, I heard that expert say on the news, and when it does, it's very probable that the French Quarter becomes one massive tomb. But then, New Orleanians don't get down in the mouth about death. Marching to a jazz funeral, a New Orleans band plays something slow and dirgy, but marching away, it's upbeat. Oh, didn't he ramble, a celebration of all that the deceased managed to get away with in his or her time. New Orleans is my favorite place in the world to ramble, even on those deep summer days that make a person feel swathed in slowly melting ham fat. New Orleans has always put a spring in my step. Trying to do New Orleans justice, however, makes me feel like Audra MacDonald's child. I mention Audra MacDonald not because she has anything to do with New Orleans music, her blues is too classical, but because of what I heard her say once in Carnegie Hall between songs. My baby hates my voice. As soon as I start singing to her, she bursts into tears. Well, put yourself in that baby's place. Out comes that rich, histrionic, lyric soprano, and the child thinks, Oh, Lord, couldn't you just be a regular mama? I'm not that great a baby. I can hear residents already. He thinks he can write about New Orleans, and never had a nectar cream with cream, a sort of snow cone, over by Hanson's, or the cannibal salad, raw beef in it, at the Magnolia Grill. He thinks he can write about New Orleans, and never saw the Irish throwing cabbages from their St. Patrick's parade, and the un-Irish picking them up to take home for supper. He thinks he can write about New Orleans, and can't even figure out how to spell how it's pronunciated right. The pronunciation, New Orleans, is just for song lyrics, rhyming as it does with beans, means, queens, and scenes. Residents do as residents will. They get into a particular Mardi Gras ball, a particular neighborhood, a particular bar. They develop little crotchets like claiming, oh sure, not to like beignets. They know what it means to miss the point of New Orleans. But here's something that New Orleanians tend to have in common. None of them believes that most of the others of them get New Orleans either. New Orleanian solidarity is a matter of e pluribus falsibus unum. From the erroneous many, one. Unless you have some kind of fetish about everybody pulling together, there is much to be said for this approach to truth. Then, too, we could put it nicer. We could quote from the legendary New Orleans musical figure, Alan Toussaint. Toussaint's many achievements include writing, Workin' in the Coal Mine, with another legendary New Orleans musical figure, Lee Dorsey. In a radio interview with Harry Shearer, who is a part-time New Orleans resident, Toussaint said this about Dorsey. Lee was a body and fender man, you know, and a good one. When we were recording, there'd be his little glass of Chivas Regal with some of his grease on it, and a good dresser when it was time to do that. Listening to Lee Dorsey, you can see a smile. 
you can tell that he was very glad at all times to be at the moment where he was. Toussaint said this about the great New Orleans funk band, The Meters. From my own anatomy and ear and spine bone, the meters were the most perfect group. The way the sparks were flying, that kind of syncopation that seems to be going in all directions. But there's a unity there. Tourists may not catch this, those tourists who walk the tawdriest blocks of Bourbon Street, who see other tourists weaving along holding drinks known as hurricanes or flashing their breasts for trinkets, who eat in the wrong famous restaurants, and who go back home saying big deal like we never saw drunks or breasts or got overcharged before. They should have walked farther. It is the person in between, me, the visitor who keeps coming back, who can give you some perspective. For one thing, if you happen to catch breasts for trinkets just right, it can be a breath of fresh air. She flips up her top, and they pop out, tender, gambling lambs, and she's flushed, and she is cheered, and gimcracks are thrown to her from a balcony, and she and her friend go rambling off up the street to some place where they can go over every inch of each other, because they want to bless their hearts, though you can't help doubting that he's good enough for her. Fresh air in New Orleans is like that kitten in The Third Man, the kitten who finds Harry Lyme in the doorway, a great movie reveal mentioned by Walker Percy in The Movie Goer. It's fleeting. It's got to be a hardy damn kitten to be surviving in post-World War II Vienna. And it registers. New Orleans is not what it once was, neither the fetid swamp, nor the great city, nor the readily affordable...